1: We're going to chat with Rafael Gomez, who is from the University of Toronto, an associate professor and director of the Centre for Industrial Relations and Human Resources. Uh, Rafael, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me, Shay. This is certainly not a, oh, okay, that makes sense and everybody in an agreement. Um, These isolation numbers, you've got people on both
0: sides of the argument, don't you? Yeah, you would. I mean, um, it's natural that you prioritize health and safety sure. and well-being right of all of all workers that would be the universal uh commonality right even people on both sides but of course from a public health perspective you got to fly a little bit higher altitude from a public health perspective think of all the things that bring health and well-being to a society yeah um if your workers aren't at work and they're otherwise not presenting symptoms they're not sick by the traditional definition we now arrived at new definitions where it will yes, yeah. <laughs> tell you whether you're sick or not. But let's just use the traditional definition. Are you presenting symptoms? No. Should you be at work? Well, that's a question that public health should be guiding us with and not waiting for some decision south of the border, of the CDC, which yeah. seemingly decides 10 to 5 arbitrarily, or when society seems to to sort of shift in its public perception of the risks associated with COVID. Um, from a public health perspective, does it costs us health and well-being by not having people in jobs that require uh, a frontline staffing uh, person to be there, to do their job, and to maintain the health and well-being of the rest of society. Um, that's a big question, which I think would unite people on either side. And if you make that trade-off off you say, well, no, you know, I think it's better if people are at work, especially in jobs that require them to be there in order to sustain a society. And from a public health perspective, you're actually saving more lives, right? And keeping more people safe. Um, sort of like with schools, like here in Ontario, we've closed schools again for yeah. two weeks. Yeah. What's that doing to the health and well-being of kids, of their parents, of the jobs that they're supposed to be at and doing for others? I mean, that's the big question, which I think public health has dropped the ball.
1: I think, you know, and you're right, like public health is not just a matter of let's make sure nobody gets sick from COVID. There are other... Public health is a much far... Uh, larger topic of discussion. So when we take a look at this, and uh, uh, just before I brought you on the air, we talked about City of Calgary today said that their police service is facing staffing shortages. We've got the fire department in the City of Edmonton that says they're missing about 5% of their firefighters, so they're trying to redeploy resources to make sure everybody's covered. Um, we right. know this is only going to continue, right? These kind of mm. calculations need to be considered just as much as, well, this person sure. might get sick, right?
0: Absolutely. And, and you need to communicate to the public. So they're not worried or fearful that someone quote-unquote sick is going about doing work, interacting with the public. You have to sort of decide at a societal level what's our comfort level with what appears to be an endemic uh, virus that will be with us, like the four other coronaviruses that circulate amongst the population and in countries like ours that resurface seasonally really aggressively. Once we have that as our overriding kind of new normal, then I think we can begin to plan more sensibly and not be so dramatic and be fearful of something that's novel because it's not novel anymore, right? I think we have to rebrand the novel coronavirus a new strand of the common cold because if, right. if, you, if you just pitch it that way and you reframe something, um, it can create better sets of decisions because when people are in panic and fear, they actually take greater risks. Like by telling you know, your firefighters, stay home. You're, 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 because you're trying to avoid a loss, you actually take greater risks. This is a well-known property. Uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for this idea. It's called loss aversion. When a society uh, is presented, presented with a problem that's framed as a loss, we double down and take huge risks to avoid.
1: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60 day trial now at shipstation.com and
0: use the code POD. That's shipstation.com with the code POD. Avoid that loss. What you have to do at a public health level is reframe this issue.
1: Okay, hang Uh, on a second. Let 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 me stop you there. That sounds yeah. really interesting to me. Let's apply that directly to COVID and explain me when you're right. talking about a loss, when we're talking about right. COVID and what we do as a result of the perceived loss, what's the loss and what do we do?
0: We're, we're framing it around every infection is a, is a loss. It's a serious event. Okay. Every, every transaction or potential exposure to COVID is the thing we have to avoid. And when, when that is presented, that's the overriding uh, theme of public health for the last two years it creates a sense amongst the population that anything is worth doing to prevent that loss. But of course not everything is worth doing to prevent that loss. Keeping firefighters at home when they're not sick, they might've tested positive, but if they're not presenting symptoms, I'm sorry, firefighting is a very important uh, (laughs) task in our society, especially at winter when fire season, like our seasonal virus season happens because people are indoors, they're turning on heaters. There's, There's patterns to, you know, public health risks that we have to acknowledge, and which, you know, if you're always framing it around preventing losses associated with COVID, you're going to actually create risks that are greater elsewhere in society.
1: Simple. What you're talking about here is a cost-benefit analysis, really, and I know there are people screaming and yelling at the radio right now, what about my kid who can't get vaccinated? Or what about my immune-suppressed wife who's going through breast cancer treatment? I don't want to minimize those people, and I know you Not don't either. So how do, you, how do you have that conversation? Because those are Absolutely. legitimate, but they have to factor Absolutely. in somehow.
0: Yeah, so I guess the presentation of COVID risk in those populations would have been equivalent to previous risks that already existed. Influenza season, our seasonal flus, the worst year we had, which was in actually recent memory, uh, in Canada. Um, And this is before we don't have any tests for influenza. So we only attribute death to influenza as a residual after we count up deaths that happened because of heart attacks and so on. It was 13,000 people in Canada in 2016, 2017, because it followed the H1N1, which had entered the population and mutated. So we've had these risks already okay, amongst those groups that you mentioned. And the reason why we haven't kind of thrown society up on its head is because the the, the kind of um, side effects that you produce from instilling fear amongst the entire population. For as you say, for a disease that is most at risk amongst an acute group of people, a population that's vulnerable, that should be protected. But if you create the scare and fear amongst everyone who's not at risk, those are the damages that you produce. What to do with those people? You give people those options. We now have great, you know, uh, options virtually to work if someone is compromised immunocompromised even after vaccination doesn't feel comfortable going to work allow them to work from home if their children have similar issues allow them to be schooled from home be flexible with those groups that's what's called a focus protection strategy right not one where the entire population a blanket running approach around in fear exactly exactly
1: are we seeing that? I mean, obviously, we're having these discussions where we didn't prior to Omicron. Are we moving in that direction, where some of the decision makers and some of the advisors to the decision makers are starting to say, "Okay, there's more we need to be considering here." It seems to be maybe that's happening.
0: You would hope, right? I think yeah. it's fair to say that in the first months, um, it was it was terra incognita. Right? We had no da- we didn't have enough data to come in to know what this was going to do, and we were at home. So we really didn't know, you know, by being at home, we never really tested what this virus could do to the entire population because we essentially shut down major industries. You know, almost every office worker uh, went home. And it's now, only now that society opened up, that we entered a seasonal virus season with basically pretty much everything open in most provinces, um, that we kind of now see what will happen probably going in the future. And in the future, you're right, it has to become a more uh, rational policy that sets out what are the costs and benefits. Yeah. And, and we're talking about um, costs and benefits, not in economic terms. You can, you can create these cost-benefit models from the, the idea of what risks are you imposing on society by shutting down again at this stage, two years in, right? Absolutely. And amongst populations that are otherwise not vulnerable. Um, that, I think, is the question we start to have to ask of our public health officials and our political leaders. So long as they think we're still in a state of fear, I think they're guided by this precautionary principle, which they think is shut everything down because that's the safest thing to do. But at this stage, that could be the riskiest thing to do.
1: Uh, Raphael, I think it's an absolutely fascinating conversation. I'm really glad you took some time to join us this morning. We'll chat again as this goes along and see how our uh, our elected leaders are doing. But uh, thanks so much for your time today.
0: It's my pleasure, Shay.
1: Take bet. care that is um Rafael Gomez who is university of Toronto uh, associate professor and director of the center for industrial relations and human resources and